Lord, thank you so much for your goodness, and thank you for these great folks. I pray over the next few minutes, Lord, as we have this conversation, that you would hide me uh, deep in your cross. And Lord, just remove me from the equation, if you would. Allow us to hear directly from you. No matter where we are with you, um, we need your spirit to speak to the current situation going on in our lives. And we know you can do that. You do it week in and week out. And when we leave this place, drive down this hill, or whether we're watching online, whatever we're doing, um, may we have a very clear understanding of our next step to be more like you. Just make us more like you. In your name we pray. Amen. This whole series has been designed around the idea of making us more like Jesus. And um, I gave you a kind of a Tom definition of spiritual formation. Uh, the whole change series, if you're, if you're just new visiting today, um, the change series has been about spiritual formation. And this is what I mean by spiritual formation, just so we're absolutely clear. It's not like a textbook definition. It's just what I operate out of. So something new is being formed in me. And the way I would define that newness is grace is coming in. And as that happens, Jesus is going out. That's spiritual formation. And it's changing me. It's changing who I am. It's changing the way I parent my kids and love my wife and lead the church I'm a part of and, and do friendships that something new is happening. New creations being formed and grace is coming in and Jesus is coming out. And that's better than what was coming out before, if you know what I mean. And so this spiritual formation thing is really a good thing. And no matter where you walk with Jesus, this describes what's going on for you too. You know, grace is coming in, something new is coming out. So anything that we do intentionally to become more like Jesus in our character is spiritual formation. That's what's happening. So said another way, if we can identify an area, large or small, that is becoming more like Jesus, that's spiritual formation. Now, of course, that raises two questions for me. If you're thinking about this and thinking about engaging in spiritual formation, I would recommend you ask yourself these two questions. First question is, do you even want a relationship with Jesus? <clears throat> and if you do, what's that going to look like? Don't go into this kind of willy-nilly. Make sure you have some understanding of what you're getting yourself into before you commit to any kind of spiritual formation. Do you even want a relationship with Jesus? And if so, what's it look like? I think there are kind of two popular ways people have related to Jesus uh, through history, maybe, maybe even within the last hundred years. The first way is this, is that many of us start a relationship with Jesus, but we don't want anything beyond salvation. Basically, we want Jesus to be the fire insurance piece of our lives. See, some guy or some person stood up in front of maybe a group like this, and that person literally scared hell out of me. And so I didn't come to Jesus because I was in love with Jesus. I came to Jesus because I was afraid of hell, and Jesus was my way out. Does that make sense? And so I started walking with God, basically saying, yeah, I will do as much as I can to avoid hell because the preacher that I heard growing up had, a, had an incredible description of hell, the place I didn't want to go. He talked about this lake of fire, and he talked about people crying and gnashing of teeth, whatever that is, and a constant Justin Bieber music. And so I said, I don't want to go anywhere close to whatever that is. I got to avoid it at all costs. <clears throat> and, so, and so if that's like you, and you kind of had that kind of relationship with God, that's kind of where the thing starts. And you think, man, I don't want to, I don't know if I want to do anything beyond that. Again, not so much I love Jesus as much as I just didn't want to go to hell. And so if that's kind of where you are, your relationship with God is a little bit like a contract of sorts, because that's where mine was too. I'll do it, try to do what you want me to. And then you make sure you're there when I really need you, Jesus, at the end of all this. The second option for some of us kind of relationship with Jesus, and I think this one's a little more current than even the fear kind of piece that I grew up in. 
I would say some of us are relating to Jesus almost like costume jewelry. Not that I have a lot of experience with costume jewelry, but uh, the way I understand it is you kind of put this thing on and then you take it off when it's convenient. Does that make sense? And I think that's how some people are relating to Jesus these days, you know, kind of put it on depending on the situation we're a part of. So if somebody wants to talk to us about grace and repentance, we're putting some Jesus on. Oh, yeah, that feels good. Put some Jesus on. Love everybody. I love that. And that's good. But we only put it on as long as it's acceptable. But the best part about costume jewelry is what some of us are doing with Jesus. When it's not convenient, we can take it off. And if someone is, something Jesus teaches is contrary to what I want to do with my life, oh, it's no problem. I'll just take a little Jesus off. Or something that I feel like I want to, want to do or I want to think or the way I want to see the world is different than what Jesus taught. I'll just take Jesus off. A certain belief system, I'll just take him off like a piece of costume jewelry. As far as Jesus messing in my business practices, I just take him off before I go in there. As far as Jesus impacting our finances at home or handling our finances according to Scripture, well, we just take that off. As far as Jesus messing with my sexual practices and preferences, I'm taking that off. As far as Jesus impacting who I forgive, the people that have really done me wrong, I'm taking that off. Maybe I, maybe I didn't describe how you relate to God, but probably somewhere within the same area of those two descriptions of how people relate to God, you could say, that's kind of where I grew up on, and that's kind of what the basis of mine is. All that to say this, here's the all-important piece of what I'm going after this morning, and it's this. I would suggest that everybody needs a relationship with God. Everybody needs a relationship with God, and I, and, and I realize that I've got to clarify now what that is because we have a whole bunch of definitions of what a relationship with God is is. And I believe that this relationship with God is vital after we die. But here's the, here's the new thing. I think it's vital before I die. So in other words, I think this relationship with God is a player in my pre-funeral life, not just my post-funeral life. Life is too hard for me, just being honest. It's too, too overwhelming for me. There are too many unanswered questions and unsolvable puzzles in my life, too many people that hurt that I can't fix, too many things I can't control. And so when I run into those things that I can't fix, whether it's in people I love, like my kids' lives or my spouse or my deep friends' lives, and I'm like, man, I want to walk into this room and fix this, and I can't. I get overwhelmed. And you know what happens when I get overwhelmed and I can't fix a situation? You know what I become? Afraid. Come on, I know I'm getting real in a hurry. You going with me? I just get scared. I'm like, holy smokes, if I can't fix this situation for my good friend, are we all toast? Are we all vulnerable to this? And so I've got to this point where I think that everybody needs a relationship with God. And so here's the two deals I think are on the table for each and every one of our lives. You can decide whether or not it's true for you. But my suggestion is this is one of the deals that you have to pick between these two deals. One is wherever we go, whatever we go into, we're going to go with God into some kind of relationship. The other possibility is you're not going to go into with God at all. You're actually going to go into it alone. Your call. <clears throat> God's not going to force that on any of us. And so we have to make that decision. You have to make that decision for yourself. Maybe it's not you going through a situation. This one's the hardest for me. But it's someone that I love greatly going through a situation. Maybe you're watching your kids making stupid decisions because they know how to, all the answers in the world. <laughs> they just haven't had the opportunity to prove it. 
and you watch them make decisions, it hurts. Maybe it's a spouse walking through a diagnosis, and in those times, you and I, we have two deals on the table. Go with God or go alone. Maybe it's a family situation you can't fix or control. Maybe hurt is the cycle in your family. And there are two ways you can walk in those situations, with God, without Him. Maybe you carry a huge weight because of what happened for a season in your life. <coughs> maybe it was last week, maybe it was last month, maybe it was like your entire 20s. And so shame and guilt are all piled up on you. And sometimes you come to church and hope to try to appease that shame and guilt thing. And you got two, two deals on the table. You either do that with God or do it alone. Which leads me to this, I think, alarming, amazing, life-altering, trajectory-changing, identity-shaping truth that Scripture teaches. Ready? Jesus desires to be my friend. And that blows my mind. I can't even get friends from normal people, let alone Jesus. I mean, I, I, Jesus apparently desires to be my friend. The day before Jesus dies, this is what he says. Greater love has no one than this, that he lays down his life for his... You folks there in Central and Alive, you are my... If you do what I command. Then he goes on. He says, I no longer call you servants. Because if you're just my servants, you just do what I ask you to do. You're not, you're not servants. I'm not calling you that because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I'm calling you for everything that I've learned from my father, I've made known to you people because you're my friends. Scripture actually shouts it from, the pages of, from its pages that God desires friendship with us. And so I started to think, I wonder what that would look like. I wonder what friendship with God looks like. And, and I just want to offer just some things that I think about when it comes to friendship with God. And then I'll get into what I really want to share. The first thing for me that is important when I think about a friendship with God is this acceptance peace. Especially if you were raised on my first definition of a relationship with God that's kind of a fear-based. The idea that God accepts us. That's the key to friendship with God. This is the verse. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I've not come to call you righteous people, but I've come to call Tom. (laughs) And the belief that Jesus accepts me even when I'm not accepting him blows my mind. The, The understanding that God is accepting me because I am fearfully and wonderfully made by God, even though I'm sticking him in the eye with my life. That blows my mind. And to believe that I'm in a relationship with God where I'm not on trial for his love. It's not something I've got to earn or I've got to somehow get the right merit badges for Jesus to love me. The belief that Jesus actually doesn't hate me because I thought he did. Because of how I was living. Does that, don't, don't, I'm not alone, right? Well, God must hate me because I'm certainly not living the way he wanted me to. You see, Jesus doesn't love some people and hate other people. Jesus doesn't love people with fish on the car and hate people who voted a certain way. That's not what Jesus is. That's the way we are. Jesus loves people, and he accepts people. Jesus doesn't just love church people. I know it. It's amazing. You ready for this one? He loves Clemson fans. You're going to make me, aren't you? And those Gamecock fans, he does. He just loves, I know, it's unbelievable. It's a big love. 
Jesus doesn't just love perfect people, and aren't you glad? Jesus doesn't just love perfect families because there wouldn't be one to love. Jesus knows my screw-up, and he knows my sin, and he knows my less-than-spectacular days, and yet those things do not seem to be a deal-breaker for Jesus' love for me. In fact, that seems to be part of why he wants a relationship with me. So start there. God accepts you. Here's the second thing that's blowing my mind about how God wants to relate to me, and it's joy. It's joy. I've come, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you. This is Jesus speaking. My joy be in you, Tom, and your joy, Tom, would be complete. Whatever this friendship with God involves, apparently God desires it for to be characterized by, with joy. So you Christians walking around grumpy all the time, you don't have the joy. You better get you some joy because that's what this Bible says you're supposed to have. And if you see someone walking around grumpy, lay hands on that brother or sister and just let them know this is not what God teaches, you know. This is supposed to be joy and how we relate to each other and how we carry on. God wants you to be glad. Here's another one. How about this? Look at this. Peace. Jesus speaking again. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I don't, I don't give it to you like the world gives. Don't let your heart be troubled. Don't be afraid. Anybody need that last part of that verse at all in your life? Apparently, the relationship with God is offering something here, whatever this is. Here's my question. Why would God even care whether or not I have peace? Why would he care whether or not you have peace? Why does God give a rip about whether or not you have peace unless he desires a friendship, unless he loves Unless he feels about me like I feel about my kid when my kid is not at rest. You follow? When there's some lack of peace there. Here's the second one, Matthew. I don't know the second one. I don't know where that came from. Rest. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I've added, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened and tired of rain, and I will give you rest. I feel like I moved to Ohio or something. You know what I mean? I mean, it's, anyway, sorry, just send me an email. Take, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and the burden is light. Again, why would God care if Tom's burden is heavy this week? If life is giving us a tough hand, why does God care? What motivation would he have outside of a desire to be in a deep friendship with you? And there are more, but I think I'd lose you if I continued down that road. But basically, if you will, just kind of lead me to, let me lead you to this bottom line. I think God made us to be his friend. All of us. I think God made every one of us to be his friend. So if you're buying what I'm saying, if you read the scriptures and you come to the same conclusion I've come to, the question I have is, what does a friendship with God look like and can I do it? Do I need to have a friendship with God where I know all the verses and I can quote them and I can sing all the songs and maybe even lift a hand when no one's looking? Is that kind of what a friendship with God looks like? Because if it is, I'm not very good at it. Or does a friendship with God mean that when I hit my thumb with a hammer, I quote scripture? Because if so, I'm not very good at that either. Does a friendship with God mean I've always parented my kids perfectly? Probably not. That's probably not what it's going to mean. Does a friendship with God mean Lisa has never had grumpy husband there at home? And that's, that's not what that means. So here's what I've been thinking about when it comes to what it means to relate to God. These are just some ideas floating through my head. I share with them with you. Here's the first one. I started to think of everything in my life has been given to me for friendship with God. And it's changing the way I'm relating to God. 
Everything in my life, the good and the bad and the ugly, all has been given to me to build my friendship with God. All of nature, I have no problem with that. Looking at the beautiful vistas that we have around here and the lakes and the mountains and beauty of all that people, the good, the bad, and the ugly people, <laughs> relationships that I have with people, situations and circumstances, all have been part of my friendship with God. Let me tell you how this has been impacting me as I've been thinking about this. So I'm filtering everything like God gave me that to be a friend, right? So this week I'm in a hotel in Orlando suffering for Jesus at the buffet line. And it was a buffet breakfast. You folks that have done this, you remember. They got them little chopped potatoes. Yeah, I know. That's the closest thing to an amen this room has ever given me. So they got these little chopped potatoes, you know, and you, you fry them up, you know, and then you put some salt and ketchup on them. So I was trying to be safe, so I had five, tea, five, five spoons on there so far. And um, a big line of people, but I'm 6'3", so I just didn't care. You know, I just kept putting it on there. And then one of the, one of the potatoes things fell on the floor. So I had a moral moment. My moral moment was this. I can just kick that potato under the buffet thing. <laughs> right? Because I knew you all weren't there. You know, if it's in town, I have to pick it up because y'all might know you people and you might see me at the restaurant and do that, but nobody knows me in Orlando. So I said, ah, I probably shouldn't do that. So I bent down and picked it up and I ate it because I wasn't going to waste it. I mean, <laughs> it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't hardly there for five seconds. I took it and threw it in a trash can. So after I had all my potatoes, I went over to the prepare your omelet line. I'm telling you, I'm suffering for Jesus. It was a hard, dark place to be. And so they make him an omelet. This dude walks up to me. He's older than dirt. And he walks up to me. He's got a veteran's hat on. And he came and he looks at me and he says, Hey, I saw what you did. Now, my first thought was, what are the 14 things I have done so far that he saw that I need to figure out an excuse for? You know what I'm saying? That's my first thought. And then he said, uh, I said, uh, you did? I said, what? Well, well you know, what, what, did, what did I What did I do? He said, I saw you picked up that, that, that tater, he called it. And I said, oh, yeah. And I, I was going to tell him, well, I was going to kick it under the buffet. And then he said, uh, I said, I picked up. And then I just said, well, that's how I was raised. Because that is true. But my mom and daddy weren't there. But, I mean, that is still true. And I, he said, you know what? That's the way I was raised too. I said, okay. Enjoy your day. Next morning, I'm down there getting me some more potatoes. <laughs> I have my omelet. The guy comes over to my table where I'm eating. Same guy. He says, I remember what you did. I said, I hope so. It was yesterday. <laughs> it's not a big feat there, cowboy. <laughs> you know, it's, a, it's 24 hours. <laughs> Where was I going with that? <laughs> now I'm in this mindset. I'm writing a sermon for Sunday, and the thing for Sunday I'm thinking of is everything has been given to me for friendship with God. And I got to my room and said, Lord, how has this been given to me for friendship with you? And you know what he whispered back to me? Fully known, fully loved, Tom. That's what a friend of mine is. Fully known, fully loved. You mean you saw when I was going to kick my foot back? He said, yeah, I saw that. But you didn't do it. You're fully known, fully loved. You see, Tom, that's weak. I tell you, Jesus talked to me through a tater tot this week. What did he talk to you about? <laughs> God taught me his friendship through a tater tot. Here's the second way I think that God has been challenging me and how I relate to him, my friendship with God. 
Shared experiences is the core of any friendship. I'm just learning this in my life. I'm not learning it with you people. I'm learning it with God. So I have a group of friends that I can just be Tom and that group of friends. They love me. I don't care if I'm their pastor or what I'm doing. They just love me. And so we can just be friends. And they mean the world to me. And part of what our friendship means is it doesn't matter what we're doing. If we're together, we're in. Whether we're playing golf or sharing a meal or taking a trip together or even more serious stuff, whether we're praying for one of our kids, whether we're, we're families walking through some difficult time or our f- group of friends, we've even grieved together. It makes our friendship even deeper. You know what I'm realizing? The same is true in my relationship with God. That I've been having all these experiences, but I haven't invited God into those experiences. I've almost like he's this casual observer, let me do my life and going around, but not really engaged. And instead, I started to invite him into all those things because I want some shared experiences with God. So I'm trying this in my life. I'm not saying this will work, so don't try it if and say that Tom said it would work because I really don't know. But for me, I'm trying to put everything I'm doing now as part of my friendship with God. So if I'm riding the tractor, or preaching a message, or hanging out in a crowd, or hiking in the woods by myself, whether I'm waking up in the morning and reading a book or watching something on TV, I'm trying to imagine, trying to believe that I'm experiencing this with God because the more experiences I have with God, the deeper my friendship with Him is. And what I have learned is that as this grows, when I walk into an experience that scares the dookie out of me, knowing God is there because of shared experiences is invaluable. It's priceless. Priceless. The last one I'll tell you is this. Great friendship with God is learning, Tom, learning to talk to him. I know I'm not supposed to tell you that. So as long as I'm telling you things I'm not supposed to tell you, I'm going to tell you this. Sometimes people will come to me and they love to pray. Pray all the time. And they'll come to me and you think as a pastor I would love to pray, but I have a friend, we had a friend, they're still friends, but I, anyway, we have a friend, and they want, always wanted to get together with us, and they would always say, hey, let's just, why don't y'all just come over and pray? <laughs> you know, why don't I suck jello up my nose? I mean, what in the world would that, I mean, come together and pray? What is that? You light a candle, watch Hallmark, and then you say Christian words? Is that what that is? And so, it wasn't let's come together and share a meal, or go hiking, or buy Tom clothes, or get a tattoo. It was none of those things. It was let's get together and pray. To be honest with you, those people freaked me out. I couldn't think of anything I would wanted less than to sit in a circle and pray. I mean, I don't know if I got mental things or what, or issues. I don't know, but I mean, when we get past dear Jesus, I'm like, oh, there's a squirrel outside. You know, I mean, I got these moments where I'm like trying to pray, I'm trying to focus, but I just can't, and all these kinds of things. And so, here's kind of where I am right now, and I know you're wondering if I'm saved, and I get that, but, but stay with me. <laughs> stay with me. Here's what I've discovered. Prayer's not an event for me. It's not a dear God, amen event for me. It's changed. It used to be. It used to be I would do my life, and then there are times in my life where I pause to pray, but because of the way this friendship thing was kind of messing my world, I'm trying to learn to pray all the time, so it's, it's an ongoing conversation. So actually, when you ask me to pray, you're interrupting my prayer life. See what I've done there? Yeah, I've just rationalized the thing away. Let me, let, me, let me see if I can dig myself out a little bit. So, like, if you're going to pray, this is kind of what I'm accustomed to. So, like, we meet in the lobby, and you say, hey, Tom, i got this going on in my life. Well, then I, of course, would pray. I'd dial up God. Hey, God, we got a problem down here. And I'd pray about that. 
what I'm discovering is prayer is ongoing. It's a daily conversation, speaking and listening with God. It's where my friendship is forged and celebrated. That's kind of what I'm doing. But there is this huge hindrance to friendship with God. And I've identified it in my life, and I'm betting it's part of your life too. Black plagues in full swing. It's destroying thousands and hundreds of thousands of people in Europe. Julianne of Norwich loses her family. Three-fourths of the town she's in dies, wiped out by the, by the plague. In fact, Julianne of Norwich actually falls prey. She goes into a coma for 10 days. When she comes out of the coma, it's like God has lit her on fire in a relationship with him. And so she begins to write. And in that process that was forged in the plague, she writes the one hindrance to spiritual growth and change that I see in my life and maybe you can see in yours. This is what she wrote. We say that God is all wise and understanding of everything, and he's all powerful, can do anything, but also that he is all love and can do anything. And there we draw back. Because we don't believe he could possibly love us, and that's the greatest hindrance to God's love. And I'll bet that's where some of us are in this room. There's this temptation for us to believe that this is true for everybody but me. This is true for all those people who never did that. This is true for all those people who never went through that season of their life. That's where we live. I can't understand why God would love me at this level. There's a fear. If we let God in too close, it's going to, he's going to be disappointed. He's going to get too close to Tom and start walking around. Tom's like, oh, dude, I didn't know you were still struggling with that. See, it's easier to keep God behind stained glass than it is to let him inside. Spiritual formation, people, is the slowest of all movements In Scripture, in a moment, Jesus heals the blind, takes leprosy away, and in a moment, he raises the dead. Not one time does Jesus heal in a moment spiritual arrogance or pride. Not one time does Jesus heal in a moment insecurity and doubt. Not one time does Jesus heal in a moment selfishness and greed. Not one time. Because spiritual formation is a process in friendship. These kinds of things involve that friendship, and that's where it's taught. So you say, Tom, I keep dropping the ball, so I want to pull back from God. Welcome to normal. But don't let go of him. Because he's got this plan. And the friendship that's ahead of you is more beautiful than the friendship you have now. In one of his books, Larry Crabb tells the story of his Aunt Sarah She's 86 years old. He's riding in a car with her one day, and she's now in her, she's 80, and he thinks, I'm going to ask her a question. What would it look like? He said, he said uh, Aunt Sarah, what is it like to walk with God for over 80 years? Aunt Sarah is this prim kind of lady. She leans forward in the back seat. Her face lights up. She leans over, and she touches Larry on the shoulder, and she goes, oh, Larry. That's my old woman voice. Oh, Larry, sometimes he hugs me. 
Then she sits back. Year later, Aunt Sarah falls gravely ill. Families called in to say goodbye around Christmas time. Group of carolers in the hospital, somebody singing Joy to the World. Aunt Sarah's in the room with her daughter. Sick, bad sick. Suddenly, from a strength that nobody knew where it comes from, Aunt Sarah sits up in her bed and she says, Jim, is that you? And Jim is her husband who'd kicked the bucket a few years earlier. And so Sarah's daughter leaned to the bed and asked, said, Mom, are you going to see Daddy? And Aunt Sarah said, yes, but I'm going to see Jesus first. And she died. Now, I don't know what Aunt Sarah has, but you serve me a pile of it up and I'll gobble it down. I want that kind of friendship with God. And I'm learning. How about you? Jesus, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your love. Thank you for the high honor. <laughs> Show us your glory and that you want to be my friend. All of us have experienced the pain of people that don't want to be our friends. But here we have the maker of the world, the one that knit me together in my mama's womb. <laughs> and you're saying, oh, Tom, I want to be friends, man. Let's do some stuff together. Let's talk. Let's have some experiences. Let's enjoy this life together. Doesn't matter what you're going through. Doesn't matter how afraid you are, how disappointed you are. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter if you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. I'm going to go with you. Let's do this thing together. Me and you, arm in arm, back to back, friend to friend, heart to heart. Oh, Lord, I want it. I desire it. Thank you. Thank you that it's your desire too. In your name.